What impressed me about Mr. Lienerman was when he talked about the fact that he didn't consider himself a hero. The ones uh, that were in the infantry and the ones that were on land and the ones that uh, were involved, uh, they, he was just a survivor. You know, he was just a survivor. And uh, just the, just kind of the utter humility that he had in his heart as he's talking about uh, uh, his experience. And it's interesting uh, that uh, it took a while to schedule this interview. And part of it is because um, in his uh, free time, uh, Art Lienerman goes out and he plants trees. He plants trees. And um, I haven't said this in a while, so it's appropriate to say this again. I used to say um, uh, probably an, uh, an awful lot ad nauseum, we're all eating apples from trees we didn't plant. And so Mr. Lienerman is just kind of continuing his life. Imagine the purpose of your life to tell the story of how you survived. And, and that is to tell the story about how someone reached and rescued you and snatched you uh, from death. Uh, there was so much that was left out of this interview uh, especially when he talked about the sharks that were there those four and a half days. And uh, as long as they stayed with the group, uh, they had a better chance of survival. But when one of them strayed off, that's when, that's when uh, tragedy struck. But just the absolute and utter humility that uh, Mr. Lienerman expressed. And, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about sacrificial humility. I want to talk about uh, um, sacrifice that is driven by a humble heart and a humble spirit. And that is what we remember uh, each year in our country um, when we celebrate Decoration Day, as it was originally called, or Memorial Day. We remember the humble sacrifice, the sacrificial humility of the men and women in uniform who have given themselves so that our country can not merely just um, survive, but thrive. And when you think about it, every Sunday, every Sunday for the Christian is Memorial Day because we remember our leader. We remember one who is the ultimate example of sacrificial humility, the one who, in fact, snatched us out of the waters of death, not so that we could just survive, but so that we could thrive as his people. And I want to talk about our leader this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Verses which I think give the ultimate picture of sacrificial humility. Verses which tell us about as clearly as any other passage in the New Testament who Jesus is and what he accomplished and what he did for us to the glory of God. You'll find Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11 on page 831 of your church Bibles. And I want you to let me read uh, these verses here uh, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, 
If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death, On a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sacrificial humility from our leader. And this morning, I want us to see the picture that the Apostle Paul paints of sacrificial humility. I want us to see that picture as we look at these verses. And then, I want us to see the purpose behind the picture. You see, the Apostle Paul just does not tell us about who Jesus is and what he did just for information's sake. He gives us this picture because... Because God wants our lives to be like Jesus' life. So this morning, let's look at the picture of sacrificial humility and the purpose behind the picture. First, the picture. Well, the picture is pretty obvious, isn't it? The picture of how Jesus Christ, the the picture of sacrificial humility is about how our king became a servant so that his servants could live like kings. That's the picture. And that's, that's why the Apostle Paul says in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Literally, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says, who being in very nature God. Now we have to stop right there, because that, I believe, is perhaps the most descriptive, definitive portrayal of Jesus' divinity and deity that you can find in all of Scripture. Who being in very nature God. That is to say, Paul is is saying in no uncertain terms that Jesus was God in the flesh. All that God is, Jesus is. All that God did, Jesus did. If there were chromosomes... For God, Jesus would have those chromosomes. The very essence, the very, the very core, the very attributes of divinity and deity and godness. Jesus Christ possessed these. In fact, verse 6, Paul could not have said it clear even if he would have used the words, Jesus is God. I mean, you see, in the first century, Romans said that about Caesar. Caesar's God. In the 21st century, Oprah says that. She says that about you. She says that about me. No, this is, 
this is, this is God's word saying to us that at the core of God the Son, this picture of, of godness and deity and divinity, Jesus had the very qualities, the very attributes. When you peel all of the layers uh, away, at the core, Jesus is God. And this tells us something incredibly significant about the God we worship each week. And, and I, I want to talk with you about that. And by the way, if I'm going to lose anybody, it's, it's going to be the next four minutes. All right? <laughs> so lock on here. All right? <laughs> you know, when we read the Bible... The more we read about the character and the attributes of God, we see that God is, and, and you know this from reading the Bible, you, you see that there is a threeness to the oneness of God, right? That when we read the Bible, we read about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We read about God existing as one being in three persons. Remember in the Great commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Baptizing them, what? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right? One being, three persons. So when we look at the scripture, we're reading about a triune God. One God existing in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is equal and each person's Each of the persons is God, the biblical teaching of the Trinity. And that's so very important. It's incredibly important that we get that and understand that, especially when we think about other faiths that have different teachings about the person of God. And and I'm thinking specifically of Islam, and I'm not... I'm not saying what I'm about to say uh, in order to to trash talk, but but I want you to begin to think critically about other faith systems. And and you see, Islam teaches one being, one person. In fact, um, Judaism teaches that in terms of the Hebrew Bible. One being, one person. And, And if that were true, if that were true, This would mean that one being one person, this would mean that God would have to create someone in order to love someone or receive love from someone. If God were one person and one being and he wanted to have fellowship or he wanted to have community or he wanted to have a relationship, then he would have to create someone in order to give or receive fellowship or community or love or relationship. You see, he would have to fashion in order to fill a relationship, either need or desire. All right? You see that? That, that's a defective view of God. Whereas biblical Christianity teaches that our triune God One being, three persons, existed in all eternity, existing in perfect love, perfect 
fellowship, perfect community, perfect relationship. And then out of that, our one God, three person created all that we see. What I'm saying is that God did not create Adam and Eve because he was lonely. Perfect love, perfect unity, perfect fellowship existed in all eternity. And then out of that overflow then, our triune God created and fashioned and loved and served. And that's why the Apostle Paul says concerning God the Son, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped at, something to be, something to be clutched on with a white knuckle grip. In other words, God the Son didn't pull a, 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 a gullum, you know, a, a, my precious, my precious, mine, mine. He didn't do that. Not at all. He didn't, consider, he didn't consider the perks of paradise. He who, was, he who had the corner office. He who was at the pinnacle. He did not consider the trappings, the, the, the majesty, the glory of it all. Something to be coveted. Something to be protected from. Something to create bureaucratic layer after layer after layer of, 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 of cosmic angels. He didn't consider that something to be protected. But rather... He made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. And and incidentally, and think about this for a minute, the last people on the face of the earth in the first century, the last people in the face of the earth in the first century to, to come to the conclusion that God had in fact come in the flesh, the last people would have been monotheistic Jews. For the Romans, sure, why not? They were, they were idol worshipers, why not? Or the Greeks, yeah. But the last, the last people to, to be convinced that God had in fact come in the flesh would have been monotheistic Jews, I'm telling you. And yet the very first Christians came from the Hebrews, you see. And, and, and in order... In order to be convinced and persuaded by that, I mean, Jesus would have to have been a remarkable person. Remar- I mean, the quality, the caliber of his life and his teachings and his morals and just his very presence, his very presence. My goodness. Scripture says he made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself. Or I could put it this way. He poured himself out. And as we look through the Gospels at the life of Christ, don't we see, don't we see Jesus just pouring himself out? Pouring himself out, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, teaching. He accommodated himself. He, he met with prostitutes. He met with, with Pharisees. He just poured himself out. In the lives of other people. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature. There's that word again. You see verse 7 and verse 6. Nature. It's the same word. Taking the very core. This tells us something about the God that we worship church family. We worship a God who's the very core of himself. Is 
is one who serves. That's why the Apostle Paul would say in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, and God is not served by human hands as if he needs anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. You can't serve God because he doesn't need anything. Rather, our God is the God who serves. And this was so evident when God the Son, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but poured himself out, taking the very core nature of a servant, and look, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Now, what that doesn't mean is that when Jesus became a man, he stopped being God. No, 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 no. It, no, he never left. He, no, he was always God. He always will be God. And he became human. And that means he sweat. That means he had body odor. That means he got thirsty. That means he got hungry. That means he had pimples. That's what that means. It means his muscles got sore. Huh? That's what that means. That means he got splinters. And being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. You see what Paul's doing here? He's talking about how Jesus, who, who had the corner office, who had the majesty of Godness, he, he didn't so protect that, but he descended, and I like how one author puts it, he descended into greatness. He was equal with God. He humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found his appearance as a man. He became obedient to death, and then it says, look, even death on a cross. And that, that's not just to tell us that he, that he died, just to experience death for death's sake. No, no, no. That means he died for a purpose, for a reason. He died for us. I'm thinking of private first class Milton Olive III, Milton Olive III, who served in Vietnam, and while he was uh, on a patrol with four of his fellow soldiers going through the jungle, the enemy, the Viet Cong, hurled a grenade in their path, and Milton Olive III saw the grenade, his eyes locked on it, he grabbed it with his hand, and he held it, and he fell on it. And he took the grenade blast, saved the lives of his platoon. And he received posthumously the Medal of Honor. Listen to this citation. Through his bravery, unhesitating actions, and complete disregard for his safety, he prevented additional loss of life or injury to the members of his platoon Private First Class Olive's extraordinary heroism at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty are in the highest traditions of the U.S. Army. Listen, listen, sacrificial humility. In humility, Jesus, God the Son, sacrificed himself 
for us. Jesus, whose very essence is God, whose very essence is servant, took on human flesh and and in complete disregard for his safety, he took the grenade of sin in his cross-pierced hand and he absorbed the blast with his body. And he did that for you and me. See, That's why he is the picture, the complete and ultimate picture of sacrificial humility. And we don't have any reason to gather except for this right here in Philippians chapter 2. It's because of what our leader did for us, you see. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. You see, verses 6, 7, and 8 tell us what God the Son did. And then verses 9 through 11 tell what God the Father did. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And whereas verses 6, 7, and 8 tell about this gradual descent into greatness by God the Son, verses 9 through 11 tell not about the gradual ascent, but rather in one fell super exalted swoop. God the Father exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in or at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. One day, every creature will acknowledge the truth about Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That, church family, is the perfect picture, the complete picture of the king who lived and died as a servant so that servants could live like kings. Amen? Amen. But now we get to the purpose of the picture. You see, because God does not disclose himself just for information's sake. Now, now um, talk shows do that, right? Talk shows do that. We watch that on TV and all these crazy lives. Okay, and then we go on to something else. But, but God, does not, God does not disclose his mind just for our entertainment's sake, just so that we can say, oh, that was nice. What are you eating tomorrow? No, 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 no. God does not do this for information's sake or to inform us. God does this to transform us, to change us. And that's why Paul says, your attitude, have this mind. This mind in you should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is the way you need to think. This is how, this is how your leader wants you to think. And Paul has already alluded to that earlier here in these verses when he says, if you have any encouragement, literally, since you have encouragement, you have encouragement from being united in Christ. You have comfort from his love. You have fellowship with the Spirit. You have tenderness and compassion. This is not out of your reach. You can have the mind of Christ. You must have the mind of Christ. You must. You do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. The picture of sacrificial humility needs to be real in your lives, Paul says. And this is so countercultural. And here's why. We've got to remember who read these verses first. 
I mean, this, was, this is a real letter written to a real church 2,000 years ago that existed in the city of Philippi, which was a Roman colony, which was, it was a piece of Italy and Greece. And, and if you came from the east, scholars teach us that if you came from the east in the first century and then you walked into Philippi, it was as if you already were in Rome because it was, it was, it was a place that was settled by, and get this, Retired Roman military officials. And so, I mean, of all different ranks. So you see it was a highly stratified city, a highly stratified culture. A culture where, you know, you had these officers strutting around like peacocks showing their feathers and everything. They weren't afraid to show the classes and the, and, and the levels and so forth. And, and the Apostle Paul in the midst of that culture, says, you need to adopt the S word and the C word. The S word, the servant word, the slave word, the doulos word, which was like anathema to a retired Roman military official. What? A a doulos, a slave? Oh, yeah. In fact, you notice in Philippians 1.1, when the apostle Paul introduces himself he doesn't even tell them that he's an apostle, does he? See, Not like Galatians. Paul, an apostle of Christ, sent not from men or by men. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's Galatians. In Philippians, what's he say? Paul and Timothy, servants. Yeah. See, he sets the tone right there. He sets the tone. And then he uses the C word. <laughs> the C word. The idea of a Roman citizen, and Paul was a Roman citizen, The idea of a Roman citizen and crucifixion in the same sentence was like, it was like, gasp, you know, gasp. Yeah. Roman citizen, crucifixion. Oh, no, no, no. But Paul says, look, look, we worship a crucified God servant man. That's what we worship. And this is what you need to be like, okay? You need to be like that. But see, our culture teaches us just the opposite. Our culture teaches us that we who are not equal with God consider equality with God something to be grasped. And we, we, we want to make ourselves something, not nothing. We want to climb the top of the ladder, not descend the ladder. But the Apostle Paul is teaching us that in order for us to be the people of God, we've got to, we've got to express ourselves in sacrificial humility. And you know of people who spent their entire life climbing and climbing and climbing to the top of the ladder. They get to the top of the ladder. They don't even know who they are. God says, if you want to know who you are, you must go down. The way to go up is to go down. Now, are you willing to do that? Mark Driscoll has a great comparison between pride and humility because God hates the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. Pride is satanic and demonic. Forget all this stuff about the exorcist. Forget all that stuff, spinning heads and all that. Now, it's much more subtle than that. Pride. Pride is satanic. Humility is spirit-enabled and Christ-like. Pride causes us to compare ourselves to other people. Compare ourselves, you know, 
our work, our abilities, churches, gifts, talents, stuff. Pride causes us to compare ourselves to other people. Humility causes us to compare ourselves to Christ. By the way, when someone says, I think it, I think, I think at heart everybody's, you know, when it comes down to it, everybody's good. Just ask yourself, compared to what? Right? Compared to what? Pride covets the success of other people. Humility celebrates the success of other people. Pride is about what I have done. Humility is about what Jesus has done. Pride is about my glory. Humility is about the glory of Christ. Pride says, I'm God. I'm God. Humility says, Jesus is God. Pride leads to arrogance. Humility leads to confidence. The point of pride is independence, is it not? The point of humility is all about dependence. Pride is the mother of all sin. Pride is pregnant with all kinds of sin. Humility is the mother of all joy. Only the humble can truly be happy. And then, and this is an important one, pride can be achieved in this life. Did you know that? You can achieve pride in this life. However, humility is what we must continually pursue in this life. You never arrive at humility, do you? You never, you never, you never do. You, you are on the path of and continue to pursue, but you, you won't ever get there in this life. I mean, I really could never stand up here and say, church, I am proud to report to you that I am humble. That doesn't work, <laughs> does it? Doesn't work. It just, it just doesn't sound right. Because it's not right, all right? And God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 66, 2 says, the Lord declares, this is the one I esteem. Who does God esteem? Who does God esteem? This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's who God esteems. Do you, want the, do you want God to esteem you or to oppose you? That's the difference between humility and pride. Sacrificial humility. Going down to come up. Descending into greatness. Putting others before self. Three months before the end of World War II in Europe, 18-year-old Sergeant Joseph George of Pennsylvania was stationed in France. He was getting ready to go on patrol. He was tired. He was scared. The Americans were hoping to locate landmines buried by the Germans. This guy had been on patrol duty the night before. He was exhausted. But then came along another soldier, a guy by the name of Private Coddle. Coddle. He offered to take the patrol on Sergeant George's behalf. Private Cottle was 36 years old. Sergeant George was 18 years old. And Cottle pointed out that at his age, 36, he was nearly two decades older than Sergeant George. He told Sergeant George, who, by the way, had already been blown off of a torpedoed ship in the English Channel, he said, hey, you're young, Sergeant, go home, get married, live a rich, full life, let me take patrol for you. And then he did. Private Cottle went out on patrol. And a few hours later, he was gunned down by a German sniper. He gave his life. Sacrificial humility. 
Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, you do this now. You do this. Uh, we're going to uh, close in prayer and then the worship team's gonna come up and uh, lead us in a closing song. Um, you know what I'd like for us to do? I would like for us to remember our men and women in the military. First of all, let's all be standing. If you have served or if you are serving in the military, uh, we want to thank God for your example. We've just talked about the example of the greatest leader, the greatest one, and we want to honor God and thank him for his example in your life. And so, if you have served or are serving in the military right now, would you, would you let us honor God by praying over you? And would you just make your way up here right now and let us do that? Make your way up here. If you have served in the military or if you are serving in the military, make your way up here. I will say a prayer for us, and then uh, we will 